It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, let me tell you about something about Anchor. If you ever want to start your own podcast or create your own podcast, Anchor makes it really easy. First of all, it's absolutely free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more popular platforms. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All gas, no break. And now we have liftoff. Welcome into the Now We Have Liftoff New York Jets podcast. I am your host, John June. And of course, on this lovely, well, you'll be listening to this by the time you hear this, it'll probably be Saturday, but this lovely two Monday evening. My my guy, Frank Piccolo. Frank, I'm all over the place today, man. What's up? I don't blame you, bro. We got all this training camp news. We're going to be breaking down LBs. I broke out my CJ Mosley stealth black jersey. We're ready to rock and roll, my man. Oh, no. I pulled a Frank. I was talking on mute. Oh, man. But like you said, training camp, linebackers, got to get into that. But we got to talk about the first important news item that we couldn't talk about that I was freaking out about and Frank wouldn't freak out about until I got Frank to freak out about it. The Zach Wilson has signed his contract and that's important, right? Because we said that last time we were on here, we wouldn't worry about it if he had signed it before, you know, the, the start of the start of training camp, but we had two training camp practices and I was freaking out, not because, necessarily in the grand scheme of things is these are these two practices going to really you know have an impact on Zach Wilson and how his career turns out most likely not but it's as a Jets fan as fans of this team and obviously seeing what the you know the moves that they've made and obviously they spent a second round the second overall pick on Zach Wilson you want that guy to be there because it just adds to the excitement and we're just looking at all these uh, – I was telling Frank, I'm seeing all these highlight videos of, of other teams at training camp practice, and you're not seeing anything out of the Jets. So, Frank, what are your thoughts on getting QB1 back in the building and uh, out there for training camp? I think it's important to get that rapport, start getting that rapport with his wide receivers because this is going to be the – 
you know, obviously the first year in the system, you know, he's going to be a rookie, so he's got to get a rapport with everybody. But I wasn't freaking out until I found out that uh, Joey Bosa's agent that he has fired uh, was Zach Wilson's agent. And that saga went on like weeks and weeks into the season. And once I found that, I was like, uh, I really hope this doesn't drag out as long as that dragged out. Yeah, that that was another thing. But I, I mean, I knew that that wouldn't get to that point. Obviously, they're in a negotiation. One side has to give something. The other side's, you know, one side's going to have to give to get something. And so, you know, I think that ultimately it went down as we thought it would. It just missed a couple of days. Nothing, nothing really significant. But the thing I thought that was important, and I noted this to you, Frank, when we talked about it, was it's impossible to evaluate anybody on this roster outside of like maybe a run game situation when you have James Morgan and Mike White throwing the football to these quarter, I mean, to, to these receivers. I mean, every tweet from, you know, DJ Bienemy or, you know, all these other beat writers was that, oh, there goes an underthrown pass to Corey Davis. And it's like, you can't even evaluate the corners. You can't evaluate the receivers. You can't even evaluate the offensive line because maybe the quarterback's holding the ball too long. He's not checking out of the right play, you know, into the right play. So I, that was my biggest concern was it's just like, you're basically wasting two days of practice because you can't really evaluate anybody. Yeah, but they did get the to work on the run game, which was good. Like you did hear that Vera Tucker and Becton on that left side were performing well, opening up holes for Michael Carter and LaMichael P. Ryan and Tevin Coleman and the likes. Yeah, and I'm glad you talked about the offensive line because that's where we're going to go next as we, you know, talk about training camp and all the news that's taken place thus far. And we've got an interesting battle going on in the trenches, man. I mean, Makai Becton, Carl Lawson, they've been going at it apparently in camp. Uh, Carl Lawson's been giving it to Makai a little bit. And, you know, Robert Salas said, hey, in these situations, the offensive player is going to be at the disadvantage because – you know, there's no pads, so you can't really, you know, you can't grab or hold, um, obviously, within the within the allowable zones of the shoulder pads. But, uh, you you know, it's harder to get your hands on these defensive players, and you know, for, uh, you know, so that you can actually block them in these situations when you have no pads. And so Carl Lawson, you know, Robert Solid described him as short, sawed off, and, um, you know, has this combination of speed and power that is unlike many pass rushers that Makai Becton will see this season. So Makai Becton also referred to it as iron sharp, iron sharpening iron. And so I think that's going to be huge. What are your thoughts on this battle we got going on in the trenches, Frank? Yeah, you beat me to the punch on that. I was just going to say that iron sharpens iron, but it's twofold, right? Number one, it's going to make Makai better. That's number one. But also it's good to see, because I, I think Makai was one of the better left tackles last year. So when you look at it, if Carl Lawson's doing that to one of the better tackles in the league, what's he going to do on a daily basis? And if if that's the case, if he's going to do that, you're going to have to slide protection to over over to him. So you should open up some rushing lanes for JFM for Quinn and Williams. Like this this right here, the this news has got me super amped, and I'm I'm ready, bro. I'm ready for all of it. 
Yeah, man. And I know we've, we talked about the D-line last week in our D-line breakdown. So if you haven't listened to that yet or you haven't watched it on YouTube, make sure you go check that out. And also while you're there, just make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the notification bell so you can get those notifications. Or if you just listen to us on podcasts, you can subscribe to us there after that plug. But anyway, Carl Lawson, this defensive line, they've been balling in camp. Um, you know, Sheldon Rankins, he talked about, he used some expletives, but he said that, you know, this defense is all about, you know, getting three yards in the backfield and just uh, effing stuff up for a lack of better, <laughs> better words, terms. But, you know, uh, Sheldon Rankins talked about this D line and how it could be even better when, cause we don't even have Quentin Williams there yet right now. He's dealing with a foot injury. They say he should be back when they help, when they hold joint practices against the, the green Bay Packers. So I'm excited about this D line as a whole. Um, and it's interesting because obviously we know they can be a strong, we're expecting them to take a step up as a pass unit, but we know that they can be a strong run unit. And so when you hear things like, Michael Carter and LaMichael P. Ryan and, you know, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, all these guys are looking good in camp and that the, you know, the running game looks real good. How do you feel about that, Frank? And what are your thoughts there? Well, I kind of, I think we both thought that Michael Carter fit perfect into this type of offense, right? It's interesting to see that LaMichael P. Ryan is fitting good in this offense, now, is that a product that the Jets revamped their offensive line by signing Moses and drafting Elijah Vera Tucker? Possibly. But they're running well against a defensive line that is pretty darn good, in my my opinion. So that's that's some good news. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Harrison Glazer had put out an interesting tweet the other day uh, about how the breakdown of this this running game could go and he said that the the no running back on the Jets would have more than a thousand rushing yards but that the the team as the running backs as a whole would have somewhere over 1500 my projections have them at somewhere over 1780 in terms of rushing yards and I was you know I got some pushback on that because I put the rush attempts out there. I had them, the running backs getting for like 388 rush attempts. And that came out to like four and a half yards per carry. And so I, there was a couple of tweets on there, a couple of replies asking, saying, hey, you think this team could get four and a half yards per carry? Um, and I actually think that they they can, because you look at this team, you look at the way this offensive, this improved offensive line, this outside zone run scheme, which if you look at the Mike Shanahan's, the Kyle Shanahan's, these running backs typically have a yards per carry anywhere between 4.8 to like five, five and a half even sometimes. So, you know, we've seen that in this offense. I think you've got some good backs here. Um, Michael P. Ryan, somebody that obviously if listeners of this show know, I'm, I have not been a huge fan of. If you listen to me on fantasy football diagnostics, I'm not a huge fan of him in the fantasy community either. I wasn't a huge fan of him as a prospect, but the running back position is a position where all you have to do is get what's blocked. Everything after that is on you as a, as an athlete and as a prospect. And if Michael P Ryan can come in here and get and get what's blocked, then that's, he's doing his job good enough. Right. And this, especially within this offense, you know, and so 
my qualms, and I've, I kind of guess I made it a little personal about Michael P. Ryan because I felt like he should not have been drafted where he was drafted. Like, just to think that we got Michael P. Ryan and Michael Carter in the same round of two separate drafts. Yeah, I mean, Michael P. I mean, I will say this to, I'll take this to the grave. Michael Carter is the better player, but. You know, I just don't think Michael P. Ryan necessarily was the kind of player you should draft in the fourth round. I thought maybe he was like a sixth-round pick when you really look at it. But what are your thoughts there, Frank? I know you you had made a statement earlier in the year about Michael P. Ryan. Are you retracting a retractment here, retraction? Yeah, I think I got to retract the retraction. You know, I previously said that uh, Michael P. Ryan could possibly be the key to the offense, and I said, well— it's probably going to be closer to Trayvon Wesco. And I think both statements can be, can be true. Like if Trayvon Wesco can't play fullback, it's going to be tough sledding. But I just felt the way that Michael P Ryan runs the ball. Cause he's more of a North South runner compared to the other running backs. You know, I know Ty Johnson runs that way also one cut and go, but you know, uh, Connor McGovern talked about, how this offensive line fits this wide zone blocking scheme because they're more of an athletic offensive line. Yeah, they got a bunch of big guys, but they're big guys that can move. Like you look at Makai Becton's combine and how he ran the 40. It's ridiculous. A guy that big can move that quick. So, and it also, this wide zone makes a natural cutback lane. So for guys like, P. Ryan and guys like Michael Carter and even Coleman, you know, that have been in this similar scheme where they see that they cut and they just hit it and they go. And now when you do that, now you got to bring a safety into the box. And now that should open up the passing lanes. That's something the Jets haven't didn't have under Adam Gase and even Todd Bowles to an extent. Yeah, I mean, they haven't really had a good running game since like Chris Ivory and Bilal Powell in 2015. So, um, you know, I think, you know, you really look at, you know, I, okay. So I, I get, I, I do understand what you're saying about P Ryan. I just, I still won't back the take. I will not co-sign the take that he is the key to the offense. Cause Michael why are you Carter, hating so bad? Is I look, it's a combination of things. I don't like the player and I love Michael Carter. So but yeah. I'm not I'm not arguing that Michael Carter is not the better player, but he could be kind of like what the Giants had with Brandon Jacobs and Ahmad Bradshaw, like that thunder and lightning package. But I don't think Piron's even close to Brandon Jacobs. Like I get what you're saying. If you look, I'm not if you look at him within the backfield, he's he he's he has a different body type and composition than some of these other guys. But that doesn't make him one of the bigger, more physical running backs. It just makes him one of the bigger, more physical running backs in this backfield. And so, I mean, one of the things that we've seen is that he was, I mean, apparently there's two years in a row where Michael P. Ryan has some wheels. So uh, he can get out in the open field. He can get that cut and he can, he gets out there. So I'm excited. You know, one thing we hadn't seen at all really was Michael P. Ryan in, in the preseason and we didn't see him really get much work. And when we did see him, he didn't really impress all that much, but again, no one really did for the New York Jets on offense last year. So I'm excited to see, you know, all these running backs in football. We get that August 14th, which is a Saturday. So we'll have to wait uh, one more full week uh, before that happens. But Frank, let's talk about another offensive player that's looking good. And that's our guy, man, Elijah Moore. So, you know, apparently 
my man has been has been balling in camp. I mean, everyone. It's not even just the the, the plays he's making on the field. It's just the way that they talk about him. Rob, Robert Sala, head coach Robert Sala, called him an old soul. Said that he, you know, just from the way he he prepares, he's the way he studies, the way he takes care of his body, the way he practices, the way he takes every rep, uh, and just to hear that about a kid that we know is just so physically talented, right? Like we, you, you watch Elijah Moore, you watch the, the speed and the explosiveness with, with, he, with which he plays. You watch the route running, you watch the hands, you watch how he, how he makes moves in the open field. And then to know the kid, to know the player and to know how coaches feel about him and how teammates feel about him. We obviously, we referenced the AJ Brown video a few times, but we know how they feel about, how about how all these people feel about him. That just gives me so much confidence that, this kid is going to be a, a, a real player for the New York Jets. Yeah, and it's crazy, right? When you think of, like, these big-time receivers, you think of divas, right? And you don't get that with Elijah Moore. You don't get that feeling. Like, you you get that football means everything to him. Like, he's going to do all the little stuff. And I think that's what makes a good football player is the guy that's not afraid to do the work when nobody's watching, and that's going to – make all the difference when all the eyeballs are on you. Absolutely, man. And, you know, he's got a good group of veterans to learn from and Corey Davis and, and Jamison Crowder, who apparently by all counts seem to be locked in right now as starters uh, for the New York Jets. And so according to DJ Biennemi, I just read an article of his on the New York Daily News. You know, he, he said that, Seems that Corey Davis and Jamison Crowder, again, locked into those spots. But a competition on the outside seems to be between Elijah Moore and Keelan Cole. And so Keelan Cole has been good. He's been trying to stave off the rookie for as long as he can. But uh, DJ Biennemi thinks that Elijah Moore will, will is too – he's been too good to hold off as a starter. So they, he thinks that at some point he will see the field. And so Cole has still been running ahead of another – uh, second round receiver for the New York Jets, another second round Joe Douglas receiver. And we're obviously talking about last year's second round pick in Denzel Mims, who's been quite, um, you know, he's been down and up. He's been a little underwhelming through, you know, the first week of camp. So apparently Mims, there was a report that got everybody all in a tizzy when uh, he was apparently working with the threes, Frank and camp. And so, you know, there was a report today that he worked with the ones what are your thoughts, Frank, about Mims and his ability to uh, climb the depth chart this year? It's going to be tough, I think. You know, Sala and LaFleur are really high on Cole. Like, even when they go to those twin sets, I think you're going to see Keelan Cole get a lot of those more reps. I just think that Keelan Cole right now is a more polished receiver. Um. You know, Salah said the other day that Mims was battling a illness during OTAs, so he's working his way in. You know, we said it when we broke down the wide receivers that he came from this air raid offense in Baylor, so it's probably going to take him a little bit of time. I think the one thing that will help him is that he's an exceptional blocker in the running game, so if he could show that during the preseason and in practice, that might help him be able to see some reps on the field. Yeah, Mims is definitely a guy that obviously like like you talked about, he 
you know, he's so good as a blocker. I think he also has some traits that fit well into what you would try to do. I mean, a receiver like him who's good as a blocker, that allows you to get into the play-action game. And with a receiver, again, like Mims, who has the ability, who has length and speed to get down the field, that fits really well into your play-action game. And so I think it's going to be hard to keep Mims off the field. But I don't – again, it's 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 easy for me to say that from here prognosticating but I'm not in meetings. I'm not on the, you know, I'm not on the staff. Like, I don't know why he's obviously, there's a reason why he was running with the threes. And there's a reason why it took him to this point to really get reps with the ones. And so until we really know what that reason is, I'm not going to be too bullish on, on Mims. I'm just, I just know I'm not going to necessarily give up. And I think to your point, right? Like Keelan Cole is a guy that they trust. And Michael LaFleur talked about that that, hey, Keelan Cole is a guy I know exactly. He knows exactly where he has to be, and he knows exactly, you know, when he has to get there. And, um, you know, I'm excited about this receiving core as a whole. It's probably the the best the best supporting cast that a quarterback in green and white has had since Mark Sanchez back in 2010 when he was surrounded by, like, Santonio Holmes, Braylon Edwards, Dustin Keller, LaDainian Tomlinson, Sean Green, like that was a really good skill group for for uh, for Mark Sanchez, and and this one uh, doesn't. Well, it doesn't come close. It's pretty good. I mean, the Brandon Marshall, Chris Ivory, Eric Decker one was pretty good. Um, the, I don't know. I think this might be close, bro. This no, might I mean, be close. I mean, I mean, the the thing is, those, those receivers. I mean, you had a fifteen hundred yard uh, Brandon Marshall and a like a thousand yard. Uh, Eric Decker, both of them had 12 or double-digit touchdowns. I think Decker had 12 and Marshall had 15. Like, that, was a, that was a really good year from those. I think uh, it's going to depend on how dynamic Elijah Moore can be this year. Yeah, I mean, it'll definitely – but I don't think anybody's – there's not a receiver here. They'd be lucky to get that combined, this receiver group, that that total that, that Brandon Marshall and, and Eric Decker got back in 2015 plus on top of that Chris Ivory was like I think three yards short of a thousand yards uh Bilal Powell had like 800 yards from scrimmage when you combine his rushing and his receiving so 2015 was actually a pretty good year when I'm sitting here thinking about it offensively um but back to the topic at hand you know Dustin Keller was pretty good in his heyday for the New York Jets before essentially blowing his knee out and we had high hopes for a, a New York Jet tight end and Chris Herndon, but seems like he has been uh, getting some, you know, he's been his reps with the ones have been cut down a little bit as Ryan Griffin and Tyler Croft run ahead of him a little bit more. There were reports today that they were working some 12 personnel. All three of those guys mixed in a little bit. I think at this point you'd like to see Herndon be the bona fide starter at that position but it doesn't seem like that's happening right now. What are your thoughts for the tight end position and Herndon specifically? I don't think Herndon's long for the green and white. You you kind of just see the writing on the wall. Um, I don't know how much burn he's going to get, but there's a reason why they brought Croft in. And, you know, Croft wasn't tearing it up last year, but I don't think when LaFleur turned on the tape from last year, that he was impressed by Herndon. You know, we both weren't impressed 
by Herndon last year. Like we talked about it, we don't know if it was a product of Gase's offense or maybe Herndon, you know, for whatever reason, is just having trouble grasping these types of offenses. You know, maybe when there's other options and Herndon knows that he's not getting the ball, he just doesn't try as hard. I don't I don't know. I, I'm just trying to come up with reasons why he's not performing. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. Uh, it's, it's mind-boggling, especially when you consider his rookie year, how you know how good he was. Um, but you know, then we also maybe have to realize that his rookie year, he was the only thing available there, so they had no no point, no. He was he he had they had no choice but to involve him in the offense because there was literally no receivers. I remember the Minnesota game was the Minnesota game or the Chicago game where Sam like. Our starting receivers are like Deontay Burnett and somebody else that we that's not even in the league anymore because there was nobody to play that game. And so yeah, we'll we'll see how the year progresses. But we spent all this time, Frank, talking about offense. We talked a little bit about defense, talked a little bit about that D line. But now it's time to talk about the linebackers, man, those LBs, and you've got your your Chris Herndon or CJ Mosley jersey on. And so obviously that's what we're going to lead with. The lead the lead man in the uh, linebacker room for the New York Jets. CJ Mosley came over from Baltimore 2 years ago, has basically only played one game for the New York Jets, one and a half. There was that New England game that he played for a little bit. Uh was mostly banged up, but uh, he says that he's tired of seeing the Buffalo highlights. He says they're t- he's tired of seeing them. Those are the only highlights they really ever play, um, obviously, because those are the only highlights he has in the New York Jets uniform. And so he's excited to put some new ones on the screen, on film. And so he's coming here playing this Robert Solid defense. He's going to move to a traditional 4-3 uh, middle linebacker as opposed to your you know what he's been used to as a 3-4 inside linebacker. And, you know, C.J. Mosley's a veteran. You know, he's seven years in the NFL now. He talked about that as well, how he's got to be the veteran in this room. And, you know, he looks back to his time in Baltimore, some of the veterans that took care of him and brought him along. So he's definitely going to pay that forward. But this is a guy, he's very instinctual. Uh, he's He studies the tape and it, it shows when he plays. And he's the conductor out there for this defense. I mean, it was very evident, you know, back in, in that um, that game against Buffalo two years ago, the moment he got out, like the defense was just completely they had they couldn't adjust, they couldn't make any checks. And so CJ Mosley, I expect him to play a similar role here. Uh I'm I'm thinking he I'm expecting him to bounce back in a major way. I mean, there was a time where CJ Mosley was talked about as a top four, top three inside linebacker in the NFL. I mean, they were he was his name was right up there with the Luke Keekleys of the world. And so I think he gets close to that. I don't think he's going to get back to that. Obviously, you got some guys like Devin White and even Levante David is still really good. Uh, and, you know, there's a Patrick Queens coming up in Baltimore as well. There's a bunch of good linebackers throughout the league. And so CJ Mosley, to me, if he can get back into that top eight range, I think that the New York Jets defense will be very, very grateful for that. Yeah, and CJ talked about that, John. He talked about how people for, forget his name and, you know, Forget how good he was. And CJ 
since he came into the league, who's always been a, a favorite of mine, just the way he played linebacker, you know, me and you both played that inside linebacker role. And I think this 4-3 defense is really going to suit him well, where he can play sideline to sideline, use that intelligence that he has. Like when you talk about CJ and what makes CJ good is how he could diagnose a play and be in the right spot to to make a play, be it pass, be it run, what whatever it is, he's he's that complete linebacker. You know, he got tootled under Ray Lewis. You know, that was one of his mentors when he first came into the league. And I think the knowledge that he took from that and bring over him, bring it over here, I think that's going to be great. You know, I look at CJ like a free agent signing, you know, because he only played a game and a half for us two years ago. He opted out last year with COVID-19 because he wanted to keep his family safe. I just think that, you know, this is where I disagree with you a little bit. I think he get could be that top three, top four, top five type of linebacker when all said is done. When you talk about the totality of this defense with Lawson and Quinnen. You know, if they're able to eat up some blocks for for these linebackers, CJ should wreak havoc. Yeah, I definitely uh look, I'm not gonna disagree and say that there that it's impossible that he could hop back in that top three. Um it it could just take a ridiculous year by by him. He could have one of those years because he's that caliber of player. He's he's that good at that position. Um and I know people balked at the the money that he's made. Uh, and obviously the the amount of games that he's played, you could make that argument. But overall, this is a good player who even at the time that they signed him to that ridiculous deal, like you could make an argument that he's probably worth it. So, um, you know, I mean, just from what he brings from a character standpoint, what he adds to your defense, uh, you know, I mean, obviously we saw what he did against Buffalo. I keep referencing it. Sorry, CJ. But, you know, just the kind of player that he's been over the years, he makes those those game changing plays. And maybe that's not the kind of player that you signed to a team that was like four and 12 or five and 11, uh, whatever the jets were when they signed him. And maybe he's a, he's a player you signed to a team that's like nine and seven or 10 and six. And you want to get over that hump and add to your defense. So I could see, definitely see that argument, but a player who's also been added to this team, you, you refer to TJ Mosley as a free agent signing. This player actually is a free agent signing. He was the first player the Jets signed actually when free agency began. Um, the first player they officially signed, Jared Davis, linebacker from Detroit, spent four seasons there, was a former first-round pick of the Detroit Lions, and comes over here to the New York Jets uh, on a one-year deal where we, we, at the time that we signed him, you and I thought that hey, is Jared Davis going to be the Mike? You know, don't think he can really play Will. And, you know, when we really looked at how this Sam linebacker is built in this in this Pete Carroll, uh, Robert Sala type defense, they're built like Jared Davis. Uh, you know, think like KJ, like a KJ Wright, um, you know, a, a Dre Greenlaw who we saw in in San Francisco. You know, these guys are guys that, have the ability to line up on the tight end, whoop their butt in the run game, uh, scrape over the top, make some tackles, but also 
if need be, these guys can make impacts as blitzers. And so Jared Davis, you know, he had a career high six sacks in his second season in the league. He's got 10 and a half sacks in his career. Um, you know, I think this is a guy that can definitely be capable of playing this Sam role for the for the New York Jets here. Frank, what are your thoughts on Jared Davis? Yeah, well, when you look at the last time the Jets played the 4-3 defense, you probably got to go back to Bill Parcells' outgrow time. You know, once Eric Mangini got in here, you know, they went to that 3-4 defense. But when I look at Jared Davis, I see a lot of Mo Lewis, you know, the guy that just wants to knock guys out. Like, like that's that's what he does. And, you know, when he spoke to the media, he talked about how he contemplated retirement because of Detroit trying to play him in that 3-4. And I just don't think he's that type of linebacker. You have to be a certain type of linebacker to play in that 3-4 defense. You know, we've seen it for years here. But... Oh, were you, sorry, were you done? Yeah, go ahead. But um, when you talk about Jared Davis, you know, he fills those gaps well. He formed tackles well. He does all the little things that you want as a defensive linebacker to do. Besides, you know, maybe he doesn't cover as well and receivers coming out of the backfield. That could be a concern, but... You know, maybe they switch switch it up where CJ is going to be covering those guys on those pass situations. You know, we don't we don't know what this defense is going to look like. Yeah, again, I don't I don't expect Jared Davis to be getting a lot of hard coverage assignments, and I think that's where he struggles. And I think that's really why we saw him struggle as a 34 inside linebacker because when you do play that 34 inside linebacker, you are going to be asked to cover. You are going to be asked to run receivers down either the middle of the field or in the flat area and so I think that you know no that being something that he struggled with and coming over here to play Sam and will be asked to be in those situations maybe less and we'll be just you know go just run forward and go get him and I think we won't see him on third downs because it just in my mind it just doesn't make sense that unless he's on the field as a blitzer it does not make sense in my mind to have Jared Davis on the field in third in third down or obvious passing situations and so i think you know it'll probably it could be game plan game plan you know depending on how we see him utilized in these games but i'm definitely excited for this linebacking group as a whole and so you know this next spot here at the will linebacker position that's the one that's probably a little bit harder to pinpoint who the guy could be you know blake cashman is the guy that we all expect it to be and he's gotten the first crack at the position you know, the third-year linebacker, the former Mike McCagnan pick, um, you know, comes in. He, I mean, he was a questionable fit for the 3-4 defense at six foot, 230, 237 pounds. He was, you know, little looked a little undersized, but he's got crazy speed. I think he ran 4-5 in the 40 at the combine. And so, by the way, you skipped like a decade or you skipped like a, an era between Parcells and Mangini and you forgot about Herm. He was a 4-3 guy. But anyway, uh, Blake Cashman, you know, he's obviously he's known for his speed, but he's also known for his inability to stay on the field. And so that's already shown its its, uh, reared its ugly head through minicamp and OTAs and now training camp to the point where Hamza Nazruddin, 
sixth round pick of the New York Jets, former college safety, is coming in here to play weak side linebacker for the Jets and has already seen the first, has already gotten the the first shot at these first team reps that have been vacated by Blake Cashman. And so he's a player that is exciting, uh, you know, kind of reminds the fan base a little bit of Bryce Hall in terms of, hey, here's an injured player that was talented, probably could have gone in the first three rounds before, prior to being injured. But because of the injury, the Jets are getting them in the fifth or sixth round. And so I think obviously there's a ton of excitement and intrigue with, with Nazaldine. But as with rookies, we're always excited with, with rookies because they're the new thing that, we, that we'd never seen. And their, their, their potential is unlimited because we haven't seen their floors yet. And so, Frank, I ask you, how do you see this linebacker competition between Blake Cashman and Hamza Najmuddin breaking down? Oh, we love rookies because it's the unknown, right? And I think Blake Cashman's still an unknown. Can he stay on the field? I think if he could stay healthy, I th- I think this is going to be his position because I think he fits this linebacking core perfect. You know, he's got the speed. He's a little bit thicker. He's really good in coverage. He he hits like an animal. And then and then, you know, like we were talking about in passing situations, you you could pull Jared Davis and stick Nas in there. And now you got three linebackers that could cover pretty darn well. And it's gonna be tough sledding for them to sneak those passes in on those three. Yeah, I mean, I have I have a little bit of concerns with Cashman's ability to cover just because I mean he's he's a fast guy he's he's somewhat athletic but doesn't necessarily mean he's a he's a great cover guy he could probably drop in short zones and things like that but Hamza Nasraldine is the guy I think if you want someone running with the tight end you want them running hey oh shoot this guy just got matched up with a slot receiver that's a guy that I would probably be okay with doing that. Uh, because it's an ex- he's he has experience having played deep safety in college, has experience playing in the slot, and so to me, I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping and banking on Hamza Nasruddin winning this. I mean, we're just gonna call him Nas, but I'm banking on Nas winning this job, winning this outside linebacker position, and I think to me, he kind of makes the perfect fit in here. And Blake Cashman has not been able to stay healthy. I mean, you know three years in the league and he's got a hundred percent probability of missing time with injuries. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of going to bet on the youth and the upside here with Nas. Yeah. You kind of have to, right. Uh, until proven else with Blake, you know, he, regardless, you know, if he could stay healthy, he'd be an excellent special teams contributor. Absolutely, and maybe and maybe that's what you do. You start Nas and try to keep Blake healthy by being an excellent special teams player. I don't know. That might be the way to go. Yeah, maybe. And then maybe he's your depth signing, like you said, sub package player. Where you get Jared Davis out there, you want to put a little bit more speed, so you put you put uh, Cashman out there and and Nas in similar sets. Or you could go to the other rookie safety, former safety, now linebacker, Jamie Sherwood. Um, you know, he, it's interesting because Nas gets so much love, so much love, and I'm guilty of it myself. But Jamie and Sherwood was drafted around earlier, so that just kind of tells you in the Jets' minds what they thought of both of these players prior to selecting them. 
And who knows if maybe they had had, you know, Nas as a higher player, but they, you know, you'd have to imagine they had him as a higher player, but they probably felt a certain way about the injury. And then when they had him like late in the draft and they're like, oh, well, I can't believe this guy is still here. You know, because if they they would have they could have just taken him with the Jamie and Sherwood pick, but they clearly there's a reason why they took Sherwood and they didn't take Nas because they could have had him either one of these guys, but they end up getting both. So Sherwood to me, it's interesting because it's like where does he fit? But for some reason, I mean, I've been getting a lot of there's a, some uh, not whispers. I don't want to call them whispers, but there were some reports out of Jets camp that he's been working some as the as the Mike linebacker as well. So that's interesting there that, you know, he's working not just as not just as the will, but also working as the Mike. So what are your thoughts there, Frank, about Sherwood and what his his potential uh, impact could be in 2021? Well, I think in 2021, he's going to be a special team standout for uh, Brent Boyer. I think that first things first. Um, and I and when we drafted him, that's what I thought. I, I thought he was going to be the heir apparent to CJ. Like he just he just looks like a Mike linebacker when you put on the tape and you you see how he fights through those blocks, how he runs sideline to sideline. You know, he doesn't really look like a Will or Sam kind of like Nas does or Blake does. You know, he just, to me, anyways, he looks like your traditional Mike linebacker in that 4-3 defense. Yeah, and who knows? We saw Robert Sala do it with Fred Warner, who was a a former college, I guess, essentially a nickel, basically, at BYU, and has become one of, has become, not one of, has become the highest paid middle linebacker in football. And so he, and he was a third round pick out of BYU to the Niners. And so Robert Sala knows the recipe here. I think that he's got the the players in place to try to do a similar thing, not saying obviously that these guys are going to end up as the same caliber level of players of Fred Warner, but the juice is here. And Jared Davis had talked about it that, hey, this is really smart for this this organization to do this. you know, And he thinks that both of these players, Sherwood and Nas, are going to be great players for the Jets for years to come. Yeah, we just got to hope that this draft that Joe Douglas had pans out. You know, it looks like they got the players, you know, across the board. But, you know, they got to prove it on the field. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Frank, I think that's all the LBs we've got to talk about. I mean, the beauty of being a 3-4 or four, going from a 3-4 to a 4-3 is that we don't have all these – linebackers to talk about there's probably only going to be like five or six that make the roster so or the game day roster i should say but um i mean until next time i mean we'll be talking about the dbs that'll be fun obviously we 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 know marcus may's back in the building so that'll be exciting to talk about and his impact and uh what all these other guys could be doing in the corner position there's a lot of intrigue there because we, you know, we all assume it's Bryce Hall, but who's it going to be opposite him? We don't know, but you got to find out. Two weeks, you'll find out on our next show when uh, Frank and I are back here again. Make sure you're catching us on YouTube. Make sure you catch us on uh, social media at liftoff underscore NYJ for our Twitter account and at now we have liftoff NYJ 
on or is it just now we have now we have liftoff on Instagram. Uh, and then in terms of our personal accounts, I'm JR Football Nerd on all social media platforms. You find me Instagram, um, Twitter, as well as TikTok. And Frank, we also have a TikTok. How do I forget this? Where's our TikTok again, Frank? Because you're the guy running that one. It's now we have liftoff underscore NYJ. Oh man, killing us! Kill, we're killing our we're killing our, our our listeners with all three different handles. But hey, they weren't available, so you have to you have to bear with us. Uh, and some of them have different restrictions on the 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 how you can uh, how many characters you have. So please forgive us for that. But you could catch Frank at FrankieG53 on Instagram and at FrankieBots with a Z on Twitter. And um, everyone, we appreciate y'all. We appreciate y'all kicking it with us, and um, we'll catch y'all later. Peace. Love y'all. Peace.